the place for Celtics news, the place for Celtics opinion, the place for Celtics talk. It's Cattles on Causeway. Hey, everybody. I know it's been a long time, but I've been sick, some other shit going on, but I'm finally ready to talk about the Boston Celtics as we get ready for the 2019-2020 preseason. That's right. I mean, we're just a few short weeks away from the regular season tipping off. I am absolutely pumped and jacked like my guy Pete Carroll to watch this basketball team this year. So let's get right to it. Here are some questions on my mind when I look at this team right now. Some things that I'm asking myself about. Let's start off with Kemba Walker. Kemba Walker, obviously we know the story. He is now a Boston Celtic. I was listening to him just a couple of days ago talking about how he's excited to be there and that he's looking forward to being a Celtic. And he talked about the tradition and all the other things that we're used to people talking about. This time though, I actually believe Kemba Walker. Like I actually believe that this guy is excited to be a Boston Celtic. I believe that because of where he came from. I mean, this is somebody who obviously played at UConn. He has some kind of knowledge about Northeast fans and and how they love their basketball and how they love their Celtics, but I'm more paying attention to where he was last time we saw him in the NBA, and that is namely Charlotte. I mean, Charlotte was an absolute disaster when it comes to basketball. Michael Jordan has driven that team into the ground, and now here's Kemba getting ready to play for a team that should absolutely make the playoffs, if not be a top two or three seed in the Eastern Conference. So yes, I do believe that Kemba is excited. This is not a Kyrie Irving situation. He's coming from Cleveland, a team that was a perennial playoff team, a team that was going to be in the finals with this guy LeBron. So I do take the excitement that we see from Kemba as genuine. Now let's talk about Kemba on the floor. At Charlotte, He was ISO heavy, right? He was a shot taker. He was a shot maker, but he also took a ton of shots. He was somebody who was used to being the driving force offensively for his team 24-7, 365. And so what's going to interest me here is what's going to happen with Kemba when he is on a team with other guys that can actually score the ball. I know, just imagine that. If you're Walker, you're looking at this going, wait a minute, so I not only have one guy that can score with me, I have multiple guys who can score with me. How is he going to adjust to that? Is he going to be okay not being ISO heavy and that shot taker? I think we can see him and his efficiency numbers go up. I think his efficiency could improve with this basketball team because, yes, he'll be taking less shots, but he will be taking more quality shots. The kinds of shots he is going to take in this offense, they're number one going to be open a number of times, which is something that he's not used to when he was in Charlotte. And number two, we know Brad Stevens' system with the point guard position. He's been able to always manufacture the kind of quality shots that guards look for in the present-day NBA. I do not expect, I will repeat this, I do not expect Kemba Walker to be an ego problem. And we've seen him, whether it was at college at UConn or when he he was in Charlotte, he's never been an ego-driven kind of guy, and I don't think that's going to change as you age. You are who you are. We know who Kemba is. We hear the reports from Brian Windhorst of ESPN saying that the younger guys love Kemba. 
And I think that will stay because I think Kemba is consistent. He's consistent on the floor. He's consistent as to who he is. He's a consistent leader, and his personality is consistent. I'll never forget talking to people when I was up in Boston covering the Celtics about Kyrie Irving, and they would tell me all the time, he's unique. And what was mostly unique about uh, Kyrie Irving was the fact that you never knew what you were going to get. Kyrie one day was not Kyrie the next day. I think Kemba is completely different. My expectation, Kemba's numbers will be good, but not as good as some expect because I think you have a lot of mouths to feed in that offense. I do think you're looking at 18 to 20 points a game. The efficiency will be up. The volume will be down. And most of all, he will be a very good leader. Another question that I have in my head about this Celtics team, and again, thanks for joining us on the Cattles on Causeway podcast. It's been a while. You can follow us on Twitter at Causeway Podcast. But another thing I've been thinking about is shot distribution. We look at Kemba and what he did in Charlotte. And a lot of times, you know, when you are the guy, the man, and you're taking a lot of the shots, you're not worried about shot distribution and how the offense is going to evenly be spread out. Is that actually possible with this Celtics roster? Is this team going to be able to share the basketball like they're going to need to? Now, or have to. (laughs) Sorry, it's been a while. Like they have to. You look at Kemba, right? All right, so he took 15 to 18 field goal attempts throughout his Charlotte career. Last year was the outlier. Last year, he took 20 shots a game. Why is that? Again, he didn't have guys that were able to score. He had Jeremy Lamb and no one else. Batum was not the same guy they thought he was going to be when they signed him to that big-time contract. The rest of that roster, a bunch of dudes who are inconsistent offensively with bad shooting mechanics. So Kemba was the guy. The 20 shots a game that people are going to reference, again, that was the outlier. You look throughout Kemba's career, and he's been 15 to 18 shots. How does that stack up with other Celtics point guards in recent years under Brad Stevens? Interesting you should ask because I have the answer for you. Irving, when you look at it, he averaged 18.3 shots a game with the Celtics. 18.3. IT in the 2016-2017 season. King of the fourth. All that stuff. He averaged just under 19 and a half shots a game. So this is not new territory for Brad Stevens and his system. Kyrie Irving averaged 18 shots a game. IT in his high volume season averaged just under 19 and a half. It is not insane to believe that Kemba Walker is going to be a productive member of this roster and be a guy who can shoot the ball 15 to 18 times, which would put him squarely right into his career averages. So I think Kemba will absolutely fit. Jalen Brown, contract year. How much is he going to be shooting? How much is he going to want to shoot? Well, you know, when you look back in the 2017-2018 season, that was Jalen Brown's highest field goal attempts in his career. 11 and a half field goals a game. Of, of course, you go back to that season. That's when, you know, Hayward went down and Kyrie was hurt at the end of the year. And the team asked Jalen to do much more offensively than he is usually accustomed to doing. So his career high is 11 and a half field goal attempts. You look at Tatum. Tatum is expected to be more aggressive this year, right? 
He took a career-high 13 field goal attempts a game last season. I think people want to see that number jack up. Now, jack up is all relative. I don't mean we want to see Tatum go from 13 shots a game to 20 shots a game because that would be outrageous. But if you could get Tatum to 15, 16 shots a game, that's good. And I think Tatum's efficiency, if he sticks with what Coach Popovich Popovich was, was absolutely trying to implore him to do, which is free throws and threes, free throws and threes. If they can do that and that sticks with Tatum, his efficiency will go up. The mid-range shots will go down. He's going to be taking 15, 16 shots a game instead of 13 shots a game. Not only is that just two or three shots difference, but it's better shots that he's going to be taking, hopefully. Fingers crossed. You look at Gordon Hayward. Hayward's career high is just under 16 shots a game. That was in 2016-17 as he was walking into his free agency year, which eventually, as we know, he signs with the Celtics. So when you take all of that, right, you take all of those numbers I just threw at you, and I can tell you that in the NBA last year, there were 40 players that took 15 or more shots a game. 40 players that took 15 or more shots a game. I don't think it's likely you'll see all four of these guys take 15 shots a night. I don't think that's realistic. I think somebody will be under that number, if not a couple of guys. Here's my overall thought on this. Shot distribution. Where should we look towards? We should look towards the Golden State Warriors. Steve Kerr's system, similar to Brad Stevens' system. Of course, last year you had Curry, Thompson, and Durant. Those guys are going to take shots. So what was Golden State's shot distribution last season? Curry averaged 19.4 shots a game. 19.4 shots a game, which is the same that Isaiah Thomas averaged in 2016-2017 for the Celtics. Klay Thompson took 18 shots a game. And you look at... Kevin Durant, Durant took 17.7. So Durant and Klay Thompson, right at the 18 number. Curry, a shot to a shot and a half more. So what's that tell us? That tells us that most likely two guys on the Celtics will average more than 15 shots a game. My guess, that's Kemba and that's Tatum. I think Kemba, you can give him 17 shots a game. You can give Tatum 16 shots a game, which is three more shots every single game than he took a year ago, which is a significant bump. Gordon Hayward coming back from injury last year, he's going to be a different guy this year. And when you look at his shot selection, I think 14 shots a game is reasonable. While Jalen Brown, his career high was 11 and a half, I think 13 shots a game is fair for Jalen. So when you look at this, The only question I would have, is Jalen Brown okay taking 13 shots or so per game being in a contract year? That's the question that I have. Shot distribution-wise, it makes sense. The numbers I just gave you, 60 field goal attempts per game from four guys. The Warriors last year, 55 field goal attempts per game between Curry, Clay, and KD. The Celtics can do it. The question is, will Jalen Brown's ego or concern about his contract get in the way? If it doesn't and they share the ball, they can absolutely make this work. Another question, Gordon Hayward. 
What do I expect from him? I've talked about this in a couple of episodes already here on the Cattles on Causeway podcast. And, and here's how I feel about this, okay? I think Hayward's going to be better. I think he's going to be much better. And we've read all the stories and we've listened to people talk about him over the last week or two. That's fine. You can read what you want. You can listen to what you want. I just know, as you saw him progress last year, it wasn't the fact that he wasn't comfortable every single night. It was that that comfort was inconsistent. I believe he will be much more comfortable consistently this season. And because of that, he will go back to being the guy that was in Utah. Now, he might not be 100% of what he was in 2016-2017, but if Gordon Hayward is 80%, 85% of what he was in 2016-2017, this Celtics team is winning 50 games this year if they stay healthy. 50 games. They are going to win if Hayward gives them that, and they might win 55 games if Hayward gives them 80% to 85% of what he was in 2016, 2017. People forget, but do not get that shit twisted, that Gordon Hayward was a top 20, top 25 player in the NBA just a couple of years ago. If the health is there, his ability is there. He's not old. He will have enough athleticism. His game is going to age fine because he can shoot. He can beat you at all different levels on the floor offensively. He's somebody who can handle the basketball and distribute. He is somebody who can defend multiple positions. So he is somebody, when you look at his ability, he should be okay. Even if he's not the same exact guy athletically than he was a couple of years ago. And what we've learned from that injury, we saw Paul George, right? When he was in his first year back from that injury, not quite the same, not quite the same guy. It was that second year when he took that significant step, especially from an athletic standpoint. I think you will see the same thing from Gordon Hayward. I think he will be much, much more aggressive. He is going to be a lot more comfortable along with some of these guys in the system. I do not think that he and Kyrie fit perfectly. I think they both knew that. So I think Hayward, with him kind of going back, right? He was taking a step back last year. He was uncomfortable and he wasn't sure how aggressive he could be. And that was just him alone. Now when you add in the fact that you've got Kyrie Irving, who is a polarizing personality, he is a big personality, he's going to want his shots. When you have those two guys combined, it wasn't the best fit. I think Hayward fits much better this year. Athletically, he will be better. How about the big man rotation? That's another question that I have. I think Enos's defensive effort is going to pay dividends from back when he was in Portland in the postseason. He was always a guy who was seen as somebody who would not be able to defend. And quite frankly, people would question whether he wanted to defend. If you saw him play last year with the Trailblazers in the playoffs, you saw a guy that was absolutely willing to defend. And he had a major shoulder situation going on. And he was defending with one arm. If Enos Cancer can bring that kind of effort defensively, he's not going to be a great defender, but he might not be as bad as people expect him to be. How about Daniel Tice? I think he's more four than five. I think the Celtics know that. I think he will play more at the four than the five this year. I think he will be better. Uh, I was surprised by how lackluster he was a year ago. Maybe I underestimated the knee situation. 
And now that he's fully healthy, maybe we'll see the Daniel Tice that we saw in his rookie season a couple of years ago because that Daniel Tice is somebody that can come off the bench and be, you know, a ninth guy, a tenth guy on the team and give you some energy minutes and give you some points and give you some rebounds and be able to play a couple of the positions down low uh, defensively. So I think if we get that Daniel Tice from a couple of years ago, he's going to be a help. Again, is he great? No, he's not. Can he give you 10 minutes, 12 minutes? Yes, he can. How much will Vincent Poirier play? I mean, I know the FIBA World Cup, that tournament, he played fairly well against NBA competition, got a lot of people excited. How much will he play? Now, the Celtics are paying him like he's going to play. Is he going to be five minutes? Is he going to be 10 minutes? 15 minutes? Is he going to be Gershon Yabusele, but maybe you know a little bit more when it comes to playing time? Or, or, or is he going to be a legitimate rotation player? The money he's getting and the fact that he came over from overseas and, and decided to play for the Celtics tells me that he must have an idea that he's going to be a part of this program, that, that he is going to be a guy who gets minutes. Now, I don't think it's 20 minutes a night, but could I see him fit in? Yes. The question is, if Poirier is going to fit in, then how does Robert Williams fit in? How does the Time Lord check in, right? I mean, what's going to happen with him? So here's my expectations, okay? Because I think Robert Williams will be better this year than he was last year. I still think he's a little raw, though. When you watch him play, you saw him in the Summer League, he made a concerted effort rebounding the basketball, which was great news. They need him to do that. I still think he's a little antsy defensively. I think he overpursues at times. He chases blocks sometimes when he shouldn't. He's not the most disciplined cat on the floor. And until he finds that consistency, especially on the defensive end, I think Stevens is going to have a tough time handing him 15 minutes a night. So I think you'll have this Vincent Poirier, Robert Williams battle for minutes, and whoever is playing better will get most of the minutes out of those two guys. And then you see what you got. Enos Cantor is going to start at the five. He took less money to be a Celtic. I think Danny Ainge told us everything we needed to know when he said, you know, if he's telling us the truth with, with Danny, you never know. He's always playing poker. But if Danny could be believed, he said that Kemba and Enos Cantor was the plan. I mean, once he knew that Irving and Horford were gone, those were the two guys that he was focused on. Those were the two targets. So that tells me Cantor's going to start and he's going to play. So I think you've got Cantor starting at the five. You've got Poirier and Williams wrestling for those other minutes at the five. And I believe you'll see Daniel Tice play at the four this year. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about, Cattle's on Causeway. Actually, I got a couple of more things to talk about. Uh, thanks for joining us again, as always. And just tell your family, your friends, fellow Celtics fans, Nick Cattles, ESPN Radio down here in Virginia Beach, ESPN Radio nationally as well. As you know, formerly of 98.5, the sports hub, hardcore Celtics guy, a hardcore NBA guy. If you want the best uh, information and you want the best opinion here with Celtics basketball, I humbly believe that I am on that list of people that can do that for you. So tell your friends, Cattles on Causeway podcast 
at Causeway Podcast on Twitter. We're firing this thing up again as we get ready for the season. I want to look at the lineups. I find it fascinating. One of the questions I've had for a while now, ever since it looked like Jalen Brown, Gordon Hayward, and Jason Tatum were going to be on this roster, how do they fit? And when I saw Tatum, when I saw him play at the FIBA World Cup tournament, I felt like that answered some of my questions. Because if you saw Tatum, and I know a lot of the games were early in the morning and people weren't paying attention. They were on ESPN+. Plus. It was a shit show. But if you were paying attention, you were watching these games when Tatum was playing before he hurt his ankle, which sounds like it's going to be fine. Uh, before that ankle injury, you saw Tatum play. He is bigger. When you watch him, it's obvious. He's bigger in the shoulders. He's bigger in the arms. He's added some weight. He is not that skinny guy that was drafted a couple of years ago. This is somebody who is growing into his body. And with that added weight and that added muscle, I actually do believe that Tatum can play at the four position. Now, will he be a perfect matchup for some fours? No, of course. Some teams might go big and Tatum might have an issue, but then you got to think about it the other way too. Tatum offensively is going to cause issues for other fours who are trying to defend him. That will be a nightmare. So it's going to be a matchup game. But with the added size that Tatum has put on, the added muscle, I do think you can get away with playing him at the four. I also think depending on the matchup, Hayward could play some four. So the Brown-Hayward-Tatum fit, I think is going to be a little bit better visually than I thought because Tatum has worked on that body. And I think that's going to pay dividends uh, for not only him, but for the team. The other question I have about the lineup is, does Jalen Brown start? I believe Brown, Hayward, Tatum can fit, and I believe they can work if they're all willing to subjugate their egos and share the basketball, et cetera, et cetera. But do you start Brown or do you start Marcus Smart? Now, for me, I like the idea of Smart coming off of the bench. I've always loved his energy. I've always loved his energy coming off the bench. He always gives a boost. You never have a discernible difference, right, when you talk about life of the team. And I think that energy coming off of the bench is important. But you look at Jalen Brown, and you could argue that Brown's offense off of the bench could mean a lot for this team. So I think we're going to see Marcus Smart eventually start for this team with Brown coming off the bench, but I would not be surprised if Stevens starts with Brown, Hayward, Tatum in the starting lineup along with Kemba Walker and Enos Cantor. I would not be surprised by that. Now, if that lineup rolls, Stevens won't get in the way. But if there's any kind of funkiness there, and they need to help that bench scoring-wise, I think you put Brown on that bench, you put Smart at the two, and then you have Kemba, Smart, Hayward, Tatum, and Cantor. I think that would make some sense. Nobody can deny this. This team, when you look at the roster, has incredible roster flexibility. And when you look at interchangeable pieces, guys that can play multiple positions, countless, countless. Smart can do it. Brown can do it. Hayward, Tatum, Cantor, uh, Poirier can probably do it. He could probably play some four and some big lineups. Tice can do it. 
I don't think Robert Williams can. I think Williams is a five. But when you look at other guys, right, coming off the bench, Romeo Langford, if if he gets any run, which I'm not so sure he will, but if he does, he could play multiple positions. Uh, Carson Edwards is, you know, he's he's a shooting guard in a point guard's body. He's likely going to play point, uh, you know, when when you talk about offensively and defensively, how is that going to fit? I could see him play the two off of Marcus Smart technically on the offensive side, and then defensively he switches to play the one while Marcus switches to play the two slash the three, depending on who else is out there, Brown, et cetera, et cetera. But the flexibility is there. Interchangeable pieces. You know, you can swap this guy for that guy and feel comfortable with it. Versatility on both ends. The ability to switch on defense. I talked about this when I used to be at 98.5. I've talked about it for a number of years now. The way the game has evolved, you have to have versatility on the defensive end of the floor. You have to have guys that can switch and defend multiple positions. And Brad Stevens has a roster full of those guys. Grant Williams, somebody that I haven't even mentioned yet, he's somebody that can play multiple positions on the floor, right? His lateral movement is good enough for him to stick to smaller guys, quicker guys. And I I think when you look at Williams, you think of probably P.J. Tucker, and that would make a lot of sense to me as well as a player eventually getting there to that level. I think he has that kind of potential uh, like Tucker does and, and, and be one of those guys. So the versatility on both ends. They also have shooting. They have shooting uh, in the starting lineup. They don't have great shooting coming off the bench. Does Romeo Langford get it going? I would not count on that. Again, that's why I go back to the idea that eventually I could see Stevens making a change, putting Brown on the bench, adding that offensive element. Because when you look at the rest of this roster and you look at the bench specifically, you know I don't know if they have uh, the immediate answer right there. You know I just I just don't. I mean I don't think Grant Williams is going to be an offensive powerhouse. I don't think Shimmy is going to be an offensive powerhouse. And the the options are really Carson Edwards. Hopefully, if he can be that microwavable offense on the perimeter. Romeo Langford, as I've mentioned, maybe Langford can get it going a little bit, but I think you will eventually see Brown on that bench to help supplement the offense. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they'll just, you know, mess around with the minutes and keep it all even, which is more than possible, uh, but it's something to look forward to. Uh, by the way, Taco Fall, I haven't mentioned him yet because I don't think he's going to make the team. I think, if anything, he'll be in Maine for a while. Uh, probably for a year or two. I know everybody loves Taco Fall. I just I don't see him on this roster playing minutes. And, and that brings me to, you think of Taco Fall, you think of big. That's another thing about this roster. You can play both big and small, which I think Stevens loves. So a lot of versatility, a lot of flexibility. Uh, defensively, I think they will have a lot of answers for teams, which will make it tough. Uh, being able to go big and small, I, I think that will make them a difficult matchup for a lot of teams in the league. Uh, offensively, some questions on that bench, but I, I think you'll figure it out. You know, again, if you have to, if you got to stagger minutes, then you stagger minutes. Just three more quick thoughts, and I'll say goodbye to you, giving you about a half hour of content here on this podcast, the Causeway, uh, at Causeway Podcast, Cattle's on Causeway with you. Uh, here, here's the last thing I would I would question, a couple things, three quick ones. How much does Carson Edwards play? 
Is he somebody who's going to get 10 to 15 minutes? Is he somebody who's going to get lost in the shuffle and you see him every four or five games? I don't know the answer to that. My guess is that you will see him. You will see him play. You will see him come off the bench because a broken record, right? Nick, you're a broken record. When you look at this bench, they're going to need offensive punch, especially if Brown is starting. Edwards can give you that quick kind of punch. We saw it. I know it's summer league, but things translate. Some things translate. Shooting translates. The ability to get your shot off quick translates. So I I think Edwards can give you a little bit of that offensive punch off the bench. Did we already forget about Romeo Langford? I know I brought him up a couple of times quickly in this podcast, but I'll be honest with you. You know, I was watching the interviews and all the video and reading stuff about them showing up to media day and watching practice today, all that kind of stuff. And I was like, shit, Langford's on the team. Like, I, I, I completely forgot that Romeo Langford was on this team and he was their top pick in the first round. That's crazy. Like, I, I was sitting there going, oh, wait a minute. They drafted Langford. That's right. You didn't see him in the summer league because of the hand. Uh, I think he's somebody who's going to be able to score at the NBA level. I'm not telling you he's going to be a 20-point-a-game night, you know, 20 points a night kind of guy. But I do think he can score. I don't think he's going to get many minutes this year, if any. But it's interesting because, you know, that that's a guy who will be given a chance to develop and get better as time goes. Finally, do they have enough rebounding and interior defense? This is inevitably going to come down to Poirier and Williams. How much does Williams grow? Will we see that acceleration? Will we see that discipline defensively? Will he bring the kind of rebounding that we saw in the summer league? Will he bring at least that tenaciousness to the glass and that desire to rebound? And will he understand that rebounding and blocking shots is going to get him minutes this season. If not, will Vincent Poirier be able to fill that role? Is he somebody who's going to come over from overseas and, and just be a, another forgotten name? I mean, we, we've we've run through a number of these guys in the past, right? The, the Shimmy Ardennes and, the, and those guys, right? Is he going to be another Semi Ardennes or is he going to be, you know, a Vincent Poirier when we go, hey, that guy can actually give 10, 15 minutes a night because this team's going to need rebounding, which they'll get from Enos Cantor. He will rebound, but they will need interior defense. So that's going to be up to Poirier and Williams. How much the Celtics get out of that combination is going to be a compelling question throughout the year. So there you go. Some questions on my mind as we get ready for the Celtics preseason. I am excited. Uh, I'm trying to do at least one of these every week, if not every two weeks. Schedule's been a little crazy. Like I said, I was a little sick. Apologies for that. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode of Cattles on Causeway. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your fellow Celtics fans. Follow us on Twitter at Causeway Podcast. Until next time, Nick Cattles at Nick C Radio on Twitter. I'll catch up with you soon.